Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Phil Tiger. Slacker Greetings, slackers. How you doing? You good? Are you well? I've taken a, a, a massive break <laughs> this season. I mean, like, you know, there's been seasons before where, like, you know, it's podcasts. You can take a little bit of a break. But um, as a lot of you who follow me on Instagram and, and Twitter will know that um, I just recently got a, a job on Sirius XM. I do their drive time alternative music show. And um, since starting that, slackers taking a back seat. And you know what? No more, my friends. I have 10 episodes done. The rest of the season is finished and will be coming out again weekly. So far this season, we've had Moby, we've had Bicep, we've had Royal Blood, we've had Kojak. Um, and I want us to get back into the the, the rest of these because I have some incredible names coming up. <coughs> Graham Coxon. Um, but I, yeah, I don't want to give them all away. Um, thank you to everybody who is um, subscribing to the Slacker Podcast Patreon, which you can do at patreon.com forward slash slacker podcast if you enjoy the the content also um i'm starting a new thing um which you can get to on my just just search search me out on twitter um it's called fifa and feedback so if you make music of any description and you want me to review it while i'm playing fifa on twitch um then please uh send it to me that way um all the details on that will be um on my twitter page so just go and search all that out and you'll be able to find it from there this week on the show we have um fleet foxes yeah i mean like it, i'm a big fan like i had like their their debut album um when it came out was absolutely rinsed um in my house and uh yeah it was just great to see uh them doing so well uh, so we i decided right let, let's get robin um from fleet foxes on the show for a little bit of a chat um come through a little bit of a demo and uh we're gonna just have a have a lovely time all together we're gonna have a wonderful time everybody it's time for our slacker podcast with fleet foxes in three two one Slacker podcast um, with with Robin uh, from from Fleet Foxes. How you doing? How's things? How you well? I'm good, Phil. Thank you. Um, it's good to good to have you on. Good to have you um, coming coming fresh with a with a demo um, for us as well. But we'll, we'll get that in a bit. Um, 
I love your microphone. I'm I'm such like a, a geek for microphones. I, I, and like anytime I see somebody with a new one, I mean, I've got this like road bad boy here, which seems pretty, yeah. pretty, yours looks like something out of the seventies. Yeah. This is an old AKG C12B that I only got like a week ago. I needed a, a new mic, new vocal mic. So I've been trying it out. <laughs> it sounds good. Is it like, like when, when you get a new mic, do you have to like test it out? Do you have to like go in with like the real fucking Tina Turner style uh, vocals on it? I should. That's a great idea. Like go to the whoever's selling it and ask them to set it up and just and just wail. <laughs> You're simply the best. You're like okay, yeah, it works. Like, <laughs> um, how how is life? Uh, I mean, like we're all like as we record this and um for for posterity's sake, the seventeenth of February, um in the UK it's boring as shit. Like, what about you? I'm I'm feeling bored. I'm feeling bored, but um, I'm feeling it's a good board. I feel mm. like uh, I, last year was obviously very intense for everyone, and and I I'm kind of in you know right now in a normal situation I'd be on tour right now. Mm-hmm. Um, having put out a record six, four months ago. So to not have that be happening, this is a first for me in my adult life. And um, I'm just trying to make the most of it. Uh, and things are, yeah, things are, things are good. It's different. Like it's, 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 it's strange, but it's good. Do you, uh, are you pining for, for like the tour um, of, of this record or is this like a, a switch up that's quite nice for you? Um, I, it was, I mean, the songs were written really with the intention of performing them live and songs that would be fun to, to, to build a show around. So that it was kind of ironic that it it came out and then that wasn't an option at all. Mm. Um, and it'll be interesting. I mean, like, I don't know when we'll have the chance to rehearse it all, I guess next year or something. It'd be interesting to revisit it at that point and who knows, you know, where everyone's heads will be at then. Um, but I, I think it, for me, it's like the more time to think about what the show will be and to even work on new songs and all of that is like, just the more time, the better. So do you, like, do you, do you feel that itch to, to keep creating and, and, and keep writing Fleet Foxes stuff? Um, like, cause sometimes, you know, they always talk about like, you know, you wait long enough for a bus to come, then two come along at once. Oh, totally. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for me, like having this period where I'm not working on, I don't have an album to work on. I've, I'm actually working on way more music than I would have expected. Mm. Uh, just as kind of a daily, like almost like ther- not like therapy and like a working through something, but just this kind of like, like you would, as if you would meditate or go for a run or something. I'm spending like a couple hours a day, just making music for, for fun with no judgment, no expectation of what it's going to be, but I'm way more productive as a result of that than, maybe I ever have been before. So that's been a cool new thing to realize as well. Like, and so there's definitely going to be more music, more music. I can see how Taylor Swift was able to make like 10 albums in quarantine. <laughs> yeah. I, like, isn't that the most badass story? Like of, of her reclaiming um, the masters to her. Well, I mean, creating new masters really like, I mean, that story's so badass. It's amazing. Yeah. That's great. I mean, like, that is incredible. And it's going to be this whole, yeah, she gets to reclaim her masters and have this whole added 
promo campaign for years of re-releasing her albums. You know, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you you need to have the the patience to be able to sit down and and, and remake them. Like, but yeah, I mean, there's not really a downside to it. Like, she she can't buy them back. It, it makes mm-hmm. me think about like my, Michael Jackson buying the Beatles back catalog because mm-hmm. um, like I, I was watching a documentary recently and Michael Jackson had done a collab with Paul McCartney and he was like I'm going to buy your masters one day and like you know I'm going to buy the Beatles catalog yep. one day and Paul's like yeah yeah right yeah uh, whatever <laughs> and then turns around and buys it like I mean is that like a, a fear of a songwriter of somebody else like you don't know like buying your catalog or because I mean that's quite present right now with Dylan and Neil Young and stuff selling off their stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't had to, I mean, I don't think my catalog is valuable enough to have to worry about that. I mean, with Taylor Swift, well, I listened to that song she put out, the more recent, the newer recording of her old song. And the thing it made me think of was like the, I mean, the two recordings of Goldberg variations, the Glenn Gold recordings, where it was cool to hear her record something at, at a more mature age and hear the change in her voice, even though the track remain kind of the same and like even creatively it's it it is it's an interesting thing Mm, yeah no it it definitely is i was i was shocked though and because like there's this like there's these companies now that are like full of like billionaires and hedge fund people and stuff and they're going around and they're 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 buying up shop and i was i was surprised like when when neil young sold sold his stuff because i was like he's always been like the anti-establishment kind of guy and i was wondering Mm -hmm when you get to a certain age, is it just like going, you know what, maybe it's good to have some money to pass down or something. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what, I don't know what those, the thought processes are behind those sales. Um, maybe something to do with like something as boring as capital gains tax or yeah. Like how to, you're thinking about your estate and how it's easier to divide up cash than it is to divide up rights or, Mm. um, Maybe Dylan just wants to be buried with it. He's just like, you know what? I want all of it. And I want the biggest damn gold <laughs> coffin there is. And I want- <laughs> For sure. Um, listen, I didn't start this podcast thinking I'd be talking about the, the death of Bob Dylan. But listen here, that's where we are. Um, I, I, I thought it would be a good idea to play um, a demo as we do at the, on the Slacker podcast all the time um, at the beginning. Cool. And this is one... Um, It's called uh, The Idiot Keys. Let's hear a little bit of it and we'll come back after. It's okay, you don't remember. I won't take it very personally. Sixes laugh and stack it up, pitch and roll, and hit the floor, and you spill the water in your cup. Dust your knees and see the breeze, see it dance with the trees so happily, think and smile, then stay a while, stay to dream and be free before you. got something else to show you I just know you'd love it 
That was uh, Robin Bagnall, the Idiot Keys. Although you didn't go under that name with that EP, did you? No. Yeah, so that was from an EP I made when I was 16. And I thought the last name Pecknold was, and I mean, honestly, still feel that it's a little awkward. <laughs> I've kind of embraced it at this yeah. point. But I was going by Robin Voss, which was like, I, I, I thought I needed a fake last name, like, like Dylan or something. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, the Rob Robin Nolvas actually is it to to give it its yeah, yeah, yeah. title. <laughs> when did you drop that? When was it like going? I was saying no that was like two thousand three. I was like, so I was sixteen or seventeen. Mm. You've got a very mature voice on that for for the age. If you like, you would not put that down to a, a raspy voiced sixteen year old. I know my voice sounds totally different. I think I, cause I grew up being in like school plays and I was into like, I think I was like listening to Rufus Wainwright around oh, okay. that time. That makes like, sense. Yeah. Rokes and Rufus Wainwright. And like, so uh, somewhere between like Julian Casablancas and Rufus Wainwright, that kind of like theatrical, slightly deeper, um, singing style, but it's quite embarrassing now for sure. Are, are you like a, um, like a vocal, Benjamin Button, where you're like getting younger as you get older. <laughs> like you're gonna sound like a child, like yeah. when you're like that, fifty or sixty. That came up. This Benjamin Button thing came up a couple days ago too. Oh where really? Like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> what what were I they was, saying? I was in a different Zoom meeting about a different project, and the the people I was talking to were like, uh, "We thought when you know Flea Fox came out in 2008, we thought it was just a bunch of like 50 year old wizards." <laughs> <laughs> Like oh he's he's he, he's my age. Um, they were surprised I was like thirty four and that not a, some yeah some Gandalf out in the woods somewhere. <laughs> Have you I had some yeah 
Adrian Reverse. I Have guess. you had to put up with much of that, like, um, throughout your career? Like, obviously, maybe more so at the start of people expecting a different scene than that they're getting. Because, like, you know, young whippersnappers in 2006, 2007, 2008, um, blasting out this very uh, organic music of the soil. Uh, like, do you know what I mean? Uh have I had to kind of have you had like a people because I, I I mean I do shows on, like on a very much smaller scale like I I do radio programs and when people see me they're like you, you don't look like what I thought you you look like oh right and I'm for like sure. well I'm like what did you think and they're like oh, like a fat guy with a beard and I'm like I don't right. know I don't know do I take that as an insult or is it <laughs> yeah um I mean for sure no I mean I think like definitely I mean I could talk about that for hours but I think the, you know, it was fun at the time in Seattle, everyone was, you know, growing huge beards and growing their hair out and wearing flannel shirts. And, um, we were just like having fun being in the Northwest doing that. But I was pretty young. I was, I was 20 years old working on that first sleep fuckers record. Mm. Um, so there was a bit of a kind of like, I was trying to seem older than I was maybe, but I was also really ambitious and wanted to get, um, get a music career going. Yeah. You, like, what is the geographical positioning of like Kirkland to Seattle? Are they right beside each other? Kirkland's just like 20 minutes east across. There's like the, Seattle, there's a lake on the east side of Seattle called Lake Washington. And then on to the west of Seattle is the Puget Sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Kirkland is just on, when I grew up is very sleepy, like low income, middle income area. 20 minutes east of Seattle across a big bridge and suburban. Now it's pretty, I think like Google and a lot of tech, Amazon, a lot of tech companies have set up campuses there. So it's like a much more expensive place to be. But when I was growing up, it was very sleepy. Mm. We're like, um, yeah, very sleepy. So does that mean, suburban. does that mean like it, um, when, when you wanted to sort of like get into like, the music scene and, and, and get your feet dirty and, uh, and sort of like go, go to gigs and stuff. That was just like, you're like, that's Seattle. That's not here. Well, I mean, there was, there were, there was enough stuff on the East side of Seattle for teen. Like there was a place called the Redmond firehouse. That was like a, you'd go see hardcore bands there or all ages shows or free shows. I mean, Seattle was a great place to be a teenager wanting to go to shows for sure. There was a Kirkland teen center that opened up that was, that hosted shows every, you know, there are all these places to do open mics and coffee shops. And I would do those three or four times a week when I was a teenager. And then I would take the bus into Seattle to go to shows at the Vera project or, um, other all ages spaces like around the university district. There was a, you know, I was always on the 49 bus going to the, to the U district. Were you gigging back then? Like, were you playing, playing shows as well as going to them? Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> how how good were you? Like, or how how bad or amazing or brilliant or shite were were the the first shows that you were doing? Oh, it's hor- I mean, horrible. I remember I remember one time playing. You know, the, the main thing was that I would go to these open mic nights. It's like where I lived, I could walk to this kind of like outdoor mall area that had like a movie theater and a coffee shop that did open mic nights and a Starbucks. And so I spent so much time down there sitting in the Starbucks, having like ordering like a tea and having like philosophical conversations and like 
buying cigarettes with my fake ID and like <laughs> yeah. um, playing, you know, playing open mics at the coffee shop. Uh, and I, you know, I look, it was like the most quotidian environment, but it felt like I was in, you know, it was like an artist in Paris or something. You <laughs> I'm, know, doing a, it, I'm doing it right. I'm doing it. And, and so, and I would, I was loving like Bob Dylan, obviously. And I like learned a bunch of covers and play original songs at these open mics. And then I remember I was like, one time I did like the tangled up in blue, but I did the alternate lyrics like from the New York version. So that, mm. you know, that was the version I played. And then I was all <laughs> proud of myself and then like took the guitar off, but I got my cape. I had like long hair and I got my capo stuck in my hair. So I had to walk off stage holding the, the guitar uh, caught in my hair that was very embarrassing. Oh my God. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I was playing a lot of shows like that just by myself and then started playing, I played in one band for a tour and then started playing band shows, Fleet Foxes shows once, um, I think it was like 19 or 20, had to, played a lot of shows where we had to just load in, play and then leave because we were underage yeah yeah i've I've experienced that like at south by southwest um when i've, when yeah. I've been bringing over bands and stuff it's i mean you're meant to leave like but do they <laughs> sometimes some some places are they're really militant like you know you could be like 20 uh one like tomorrow and they'll fucking frog yeah. march you out of there totally yeah, you get the big X's on your hand and you play the show. And it's a little bit of a badge of honor, you know, like, oh, I'm just here. Oh, I can just play the show and I got to go home. Yeah, yeah I'm like Henry, I'm Henry Rollins. I'm straight edge, man. Totally. <laughs> totally. Um, when, when, did the, when did the band start becoming a, a thing? Like, was it like a natural thing where you were like, people were just adding to your solo stuff? Or was it like more of a, a proper line in the sand? Um, I think like there was like the solo stuff, the singer songwriter stuff. And then when I thought about starting a band, I thought about, um, making it more like indie rock band music, but, and we, there was like a EP of that kind of thing in 2006 Mm. and it didn't, I don't know, it didn't feel as good. And then I guess after that, we started integrating I, you know, I wanted to bring the songwriter acoustic stuff back into the, the thing, but do it as a band. And, um, so that was like kind of the, and then started listening to like Joanna Newsom and Grizzly Bear and Devander Banhart and everything happening in like 2006. It was really inspiring and, and, and interesting, um, and stuff that was happening in Seattle, like the cave singers or a uh, band of horses, you know, um, so I, we were like, what's that? It was basically my playlist from then. <laughs> like, yeah, totally. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. And so, I mean, like we were playing shows frequently and, you know, Seattle was a, a great place to be at that time, a great place to be a musician and a great, it was great. Like the ecosystem was really clear, like what venue you would try and get your first show at on a Monday night. And then what venue you'd try and get your next gig at, like opening for someone else. You know, just it was just like the the levels of the the game. Yeah. Or, you know, for, but like, clear. I mean, part of that levels is like, you know, you need to get to the end level baddie and then beat them and then get up to the next. I mean, yeah, Jonathan Poneman at Sub Pop was the final boss. Of that's the that's what I, that's what I'm saying. Like, you you got to the final screen. 
if this was like Donkey Kong or some shit, like you got to the final screen of of Seattle music, and and when you guys signed to signed to Sub Pop, did, did it feel like that when when you did? Like, is is Sub Pop as? I mean, of course, it's as iconic in Seattle, but what what was it like for you guys when when that happened? That was real. I mean, that was. I mean, it was a little bit like you were describing. It was a little bit like speed running the Seattle music scene game. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh exploiting glitches in the system and <laughs> um but i mean it was it, it was i mean it was special like how how special to be in a city where yeah like people from sub and shows every day of the week you know and if you're doing enough shows in seattle like you're on the right radar uh for sure and but you're on the radar of something that's like accessible but it's like internationally significant you know and then mm-hmm. it's like legendary um which was a very i feel very lucky and grateful to have grown up in that environment for sure but like did you do the album with sub pop or or like how did that, that work because like I, I know like when you when you look at all of your stuff on on spotify it says none such like so. selling a little or a lot Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So like, was it like, what did you do on, on, on Sub Pop? Oh, well, um, for the first album, uh, for the first album, it was actually co-released yeah, for you guys, it came out on Belly and Simon Raymond's label. Yeah, which is an label. amazing. He's an amazing guy, great label. Mm-hmm. Um, he was, you know, I lo- I remember talking to him, and we it was we kind of finished the album, and then we were shopping into labels. Sub Pop was interested, and they wanted to do a worldwide deal. And I remember talking to Simon, and I was super young; I didn't know what I was doing. But he was like, and even you know, he, he said it might serve you well. He said it might serve you well to do a deal with. With two labels for this record, one in Europe that's more central to Europe and can handle that, you know, more has more boots on the ground there, and then one for a little bit of label in North America. Mm. Um, so 
even though, yeah, so Sopapa had it for North America and, and Australasia, and then Bell Union put it out in Europe and UK, everywhere else. And then um, we switched the digital rights to Nunsuch when we made, uh, to, to do some reissues. Ah, uh, uh, right, in, okay. Years ago, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm get, I, it always happens because I've, I've run like a, a an independent table for a while. I get like really bogged down in the minutia of like a of oh, no, label dates and stuff. Like yeah, yeah. So, so my, um, I was wondering, like when when you put together a band, like how does it come together? Like does it come together quite naturally? Do you like put an advert out, or is, is it people around the scene that you know? Like how did Three Foxes become a band? Um, I think like the lineup was pretty fluid early on it was a little bit of um so it was kind of me, me and my friend sky who plays guitar we grew up together but we didn't really know any other musicians um in kirkland really and then we went to seattle and then started meeting people and there was it was a situation where people were in numerous bands and you know there were you'd meet somebody who's a great bass player and they'd be in six bands and <laughs> yeah. and you know, and you'd ask them, which totally made sense. And and then, and I was also, you know, really kind of um, wanting to play with people older older than us. You know, thinking yeah. that they had more experience, more talent. So we were, and I, I was used to working, being friends with older people, and being, you know, the youngest of three kids, and just. I don't know. I was impatient, you know, it's like, so mm. we got to get some old guys in the band to have, you know, so there were, you know, people like Christian Wargo, we loved his band crystal skulls. And, um, you know, when, once it was like, once there wasn't enough, it was kind of like friends of friends and then meeting people and then, um, playing shows and then having, you know, and then once there was enough kind of energy around flea foxes, then it became like a, a main focus for people. Mm. I mean, like that's it. It's kind of testament to how you grow as a band that you can end about four other bands. <laughs> My people, yeah. go, we're not going to be in the band know. anymore. I know. I, <laughs> that's a great point. <laughs> um, is it weird, like when when your music starts to be unsuccessful, because you've spent probably more time than not being unsuccessful, not being unsuccessful, but but being unknown. Um, from putting out your own solo stuff to putting out maybe the first uh, indie EP of Fleet Foxes, when what it is that you're looking for starts to arrive, does mm-hmm. it arrive the way that you thought it would? Or like, how do you deal with that? Because obviously you're still very young. Yeah. You mean currently still young, 34? No, you're still young. Yeah, I'm 34 too. I'm, I'm, I'm lying to myself nice. saying I'm still young, but like, listen. We're young. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we are. We're, 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 not, we're not having existential crises as you are. We are the youths. It is the children who are wrong. Well, I, I found out the other day that I'm still technically a millennial, so I was like, I'm happy with that. Yeah. <laughs> like end level millennial, like, but still, still there. Yeah. Um. So well, when 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 it comes, for sure. yeah, when it comes along, like, what what is it like? Well, I didn't really. I mean, I don't know. When I look back on it, I'm like, yeah, I was. You know, I basically committed to this music thing at like age 15. You know, I, I felt like mm. unstimulated at school. I loved. You know, I thought based on, you know, absorbing all these mythologies of, you know, the Beach Boys and the Beatles, you know, you got to get, you got to be 19 or 20 when you're making your biggest impacts, you got to start now. And um, just, you know, I don't think in those terms anymore at all, but, um, you know, but by the time, you know, being 22 and playing like, playing Saturday Night Live when I was 22 was like, I just was not 
ready for that. <laughs> I <laughs> yeah, remember, yeah. I remember like we filmed a promo and like for that and I I just couldn't even own I could just couldn't even be present in the promo. Like I I like I sat down, everyone else everyone else was standing and like proud to be there and like I was like so uncomfortable. So I th- I think that it was I wanted to meet all those all those like meet the moment for sure and I wanted to kind of you know enjoy the like what felt like really sudden uh, acceptance of that record but I was really uncomfortable also the, with a lot of it or ill-equipped to, to to handle it for sure yeah um, it, it it is it is weird because like I mean you, you you equip yourself better throughout the years and then you like look back yeah. and you're like going what the fuck was I doing <laughs> oh for sure <laughs> absolutely what is your relationship like with the with the first record um now like what is it like 10 12 12 years 13 years since it since it came out um yeah do, do you do you love those songs do you do you can you not stand them like what's it like like because i mean everybody's got a different relationship with a different album don't they? i think it's uh i guess that's the thing like it did feel like <laughs> keep coming back to video game analogies for, for some reason, but uh, <laughs> um, it was a bit like, I'm proud of that album. I remember talking to Casey from the band about before that record came out, I was like, you know what, let's just like put this out on whatever label and just get started on the next one. And then, like, what, what was going to be <laughs> the next an, one? What an admission of defeat before you even started. This was, it was, was kind of like, just like, oh, yeah, this record's done. Let's just, like, start on the next one. And then, like, those songs turned into the Sun Giant E, which ended up coming out first, but was recorded after. Mm. Um, you know, so my ex- expectations were pretty low. So, and it's not like I, I wasn't like, this is the masterpiece or something. And uh, I still don't. I'm, but I'm like, I'm proud of that record now. I don't, I don't look at it as much after, you know, when it was more present as like the thing to be compared against, then I was, you know, more critical of it or trying to find ways to grow in, uh, you know, both in like response to it and against it. Mm. Um, and had a lot of like, you know, I just wanted to keep growing. I didn't want it to feel like plain zelda after you beat the final boss or you know and just having nothing to do and it's like the game was won or something um so i'm proud of it i'm so grateful for everything that has happened as a result of the of that album for sure yeah big time Um, what is your what is your free bird what is this what is the one song that everybody shouts out at your show that yeah and and i mean uh, like you have to like remember like when you go and play these shows that it a lot of the time it will be like ninety five percent like fans of the band and then another five percent will be friends that are coming along because they've got them a ticket or something like that. Also, yeah. you, you have these people who maybe don't know all of the records who are there and they're drunk and they go play Freebird. Yeah. <laughs> what's what's your what's your Freebird? Well, I mean, we've been a generous. I think we've played White Winter Hymnal at every show and it hasn't been so, like a creep situation where, you know, people have had to be screaming for the, the <laughs> like, the, you know, yeah, yeah. Because uh, it often goes unplayed. That hasn't been, 
our our approach. So you should do it some night in a city that like has wronged you. Like if you've like if you've ever like got like a parking ticket or you, like or or whatever in, in a city that's wronged mm-hmm. you, just just don't play it. Fuck them. Yeah, just don't play it. <laughs> just stand in silence for two hours. Yeah, exactly. This is John Cage. Three fifteen yep. or whatever, whatever the number it is, I can't yep. remember. Um, there was one thing that, that, that caught my eye. Now, I don't want to just completely start, start like, um, like do all the things that um, talk about at the at the beginning. But there was something that made me laugh, and maybe I shouldn't have laughed at it. Like, um, maybe it's like a little bit of gallows humor or something. But when I, I was sort of like did a little bit of research before, and it um, said in your Wikipedia. Um, when starting Fleet Foxes, Robin ran up considerable debt. And I was like, what? Like, what? <laughs> and it was like, I have to ask about that. Like, I mean, like, were you like, did you buy like a gold fountain for the, for, for <laughs> what the fuck? How can you like get too much debt at the very, very, very beginning? I mean, I don't know. That's the thing with Wikipedia. I feel like there'll be these little things that get exaggerated in a given article 10 years ago, and then they get slotted into the Wikipedia page, and they're just there as, you know, for time, you know, from now on. But they're not. I mean, I I borrowed $7,000 from my parents to make that record. But that's not that much in the grand scheme of how much it costs to put a band on the road and record a record. Yeah, it was considerable in the sense that, and then I did, I had a credit card with a $1,500 limit that I maxed out buying tape. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's commitment to the cause. You could have just stuck a fucking like filter on it. Yeah. I don't know if there were, no, we were, that was, that was before all this modeling stuff was so good. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I mean, seven thousand dollars is considerable to a twenty-year-old who works at a burrito place, maybe. Yeah. But it was to my parents. You know, they were they weren't going to be. There was like no no interest, and they weren't even really. I mean, I did pay them back eventually, but they weren't hung up on. Yeah, it. they weren't going to break your thumbs over it. No. Yeah. <laughs> fair, fair, fair play to them. Um, and that's me because I mean, I've I've at this point, you know, I've spent seven thousand dollars in a day recording it. That now. You know, if you total up, you know, if it's an expensive day and you have a bunch of, you know, session musicians to pay and mm. you're in an expensive studio. And so I'm, I'm like, um, I don't do that all the time at all, but, but it is crazy that we got that record done for so cheap. Is, is that a model that you feel is, is starting to change quite a lot? Like if I was maybe not Rick Rubin, but like if I was like a level below him with a real bougie um, acres and acres of space and outbuildings and places that you can go and stay and, and different rooms and stuff like that, I'd be kind of scared because there's there's more money than ever in the music industry, but there's less money than ever in bands' pockets. Yeah. You'd be scared about kind of maintaining the... Like that, that, that bougie level of recording. Like I feel like the, the equipment's getting better. And the money doesn't seem to be, you know, it's not the nineties. Like, yeah. Uh, I mean, for me, like some of these things, you know, I mean, just being, having the luxury of making music for a living and to have the resources to kind of a little bit, there's a little bit of like wish fulfillment in some of the sessions I've done where it's like, yes, go to this studio. That's an experience I want to have, go to the studio, work with these people. Mm. You know, I'm not like, I mean, the next thing I want to make, I want to record it in two days, just totally live and just 
get super rehearsed and just do it in two days and just spend no money making it, but just focus on the performances and the, and the expression in the, you know, what's being no, you know, overdub wormholes or, you know, cigarettes after sex do something like that. Don't they like, um, that band, they, they put like, they put a couple of mics in a room and then that's it. And then whatever's recorded is recorded. Great. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) What a concept. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But you you can, yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen it happen with friends and I've heard various different mixes of albums and, and you just get, I mean, I spend more time with artists that I work with just tearing shit out than I do going, do you know what this could do with a fucking theremin solo? Yeah. I mean, both approaches are great. You know, I love really intense studio recordings and I love like something that's just a live performance. It's really expressive and emotional and all just captured in the mics, you know? Um, and I, I love that I have the opportunity to kind of explore any of those options, you know? Mm. So when, when the, like, I mean, it says, it says like hiatus between 2012 and 2016, was it a hiatus or was it just like you were taking a break? Because a lot of bands will go four or five years without releasing an album. Yeah. And that's fine. Was it, was it like ever like a, like this is happening or, because I mean, the way it's kind of set out that from what I was, when I was doing my research, it makes it look like the band took a hiatus because Josh, aka Father John Misty left the band. And I don't think that narrative is particularly true, is it? No, I mean, like it was, it was like that first record was super, that was an intense couple of years. And then making, I remember like in the meeting after finishing Helplessness Blues, I remember taking, going to a meeting and we only had a two record deal. And so um, with Sub Pop and with Bell Union, we had a two album deal. So there was, um, I remember the meeting with Sub Pop, I said, this is going to be the last one for a while. And that was in 2010, you mm-hmm. know, when, um, before that record came out, but it was when it got finished being made. Um, it was just intense. Like it was just, it was all really intense for me. Um, being like young and under what felt like a lot of pressure. Um, and so I think after that tour ended, you know, it, it wasn't so much that it was like, because Josh quit or that would, that, you know, the band, it was more like I already was like, I don't know. I need to do some, I don't feel like totally complete. You know, I've just been thinking about music since I'm 15. I'm, I've been laser focused on this one thing and that's has totally served me. And I'm really glad and it's given me a lot like personally, emotionally, you know, um, but I don't know how to like, at that point I was like, I don't know how to make food. I don't know how to like cook an egg. I don't know how to, I just did, I was just like not a real person, (laughs) you know, I was was like a monk for music. And I think that was, you know, so that was more the state of mind I was in. It was, it was, you know, it was like, I, this has been an amazing, incredible experience, but I need to develop in other ways because I just don't feel like a person in the world, you know? Mm. Uh, And so that was, that, that was what the hiatus was more about for me than kind of, it's just about personal development and what are your um, eggs? What are your eggs like now? Great. Oh, um, yeah. any way you want. Yeah. Poached. Sunny Poached. side up. Yep. <laughs> I get that. I get that. There, there's, there's a weird, there's a weird period in your twenties <clears throat> that like, you know, no, no guy sits down and goes, 
Well, I mean, actually, it sounds, sounds like you did, <laughs> but but like pe- people with like sort of normal jobs that aren't like touring the world and 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 doing fantastical things, um, generally pick up little bits and pieces as you go along, and then by yep. th- this, this age now, you're like going, oh, I may flambe that, or, or do, do, do you know what I mean? It just it comes on naturally. But I guess you miss out when you live. Um, it's almost like a K, like like rock and roll tour is almost like. It's constructed chaos because, like you know, you you have a specific time that you need to be on the bus and you need to be here and all the rest of it. But then everything else in between is a bit of a pinball, mm-hmm, for sure. So you don't really, yeah. you don't really sort of learn to even make beds, really. Exactly. Yeah. There's a lot that is not expected of you on tour, and then a lot that is. But it's they're different. You're in survival mode the whole time. I feel like, um, and. There's not you're kind of like the stage never felt like that safe of a place to me. I always felt like I had to prove I was trying to prove myself to the audience, you know. So I just get super hung up on like any bad note or like like you know off key singing or you know I always felt like kind of like a gladiator in the in the ring with you know people giving you a thumbs up or a thumbs down, you know. Yeah, and, but, but when you do a show so so often though, like surely it becomes like. I don't know, like you, you can't be engaged in the show every single t- night of a 60 date tour or something like that. I mean, so, there's sometimes when I'm on the radio, like I'm like thinking about what I'm going to have for dinner and I can be actually talking about something and thinking about yeah. something else. That doesn't happen that often, like, but like you're not always focused in. Yeah, I've been there for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's probably more towards the end of the record uh, tour than, 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 than probably the start. Um, yeah. Are you guys bad for throwing side eyes and daggers across stage if somebody really fucks up? Are you like, no, like looking over? You're like, what the fuck, are you doing? Uh, no, no, everyone's yeah. great. That's good. That's good. I played in a band. My friend who I played in a band with still apologizes to this day about like, because like, I mean, I like I'm a good bass player, but I'm good when I concentrate, but I'm really bad when I don't. And there's yeah. been numerous times where I wasn't concentrating exactly and I might be sitting playing something else or I might be in some way addled um, and you just get the fucking death stare and there's nothing worse. It's like your mom and dad's like stare combined because mm-hmm. you know you're in the middle of like playing in front of people and it really fucks you up. For sure. Um, the, 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 the sort of like talking about like you know sort of coming back down to, to reality and becoming a real person and stuff like that after the the success that you had beforehand was surfing part of that like you know was that like like a, a passion you had that started then or was it something that you've always done um yeah for sure i've been in and out of surfing uh like i think like take, taking a hiatus and then coming back to music with crack up and this album shore um you know, obviously I was like a little older now I'm like 34. So things have been more balanced just generally and not so one or the other, um, instead of like all music and then all self development, like going back to school and surfing and running and, um, reading a ton and, you know, did going you, to did you go back to school? Yeah, I went back to that's that, the hiatus was when I, I went back to school for three years. What'd you do? Uh, what'd you study? I was trying to finish an undergraduate degree, uh, which, cause I had just gone straight into music when I was out of high school. Mm. Uh, and 
I had every intention of finishing it. And then Joanna Newsom asked me to go on tour, <laughs> which meant that, and she's impossible to say no to. Yeah. And just, just that one thing led to another. And then that just set things in motion for crack up and touring that for two years and then making this shore record for two years. And have you ever thought about invoicing Joanna Newsom for your fees for, for, for university? <laughs> uh, wow. <laughs> They were pretty hefty. I don't know. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll see you in court. Um, <laughs> so, like, I mean, like I was getting at the surfing thing because, like, the 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 name of the record, and and I I really like the the idea of it, and the, I mean, you tell me the the the, the story about the the new record for anybody who who listens to the podcast, I might know. Oh yeah. I mean, um, I had this personal experience where, yeah, I had almost drowned surfing where like I snap my leash, the board goes to shore. I'm like 300 yards out to sea, get caught in a rip current. It takes me a long time. That was kind of the closest, the most like in danger of dying I've ever felt. Um, And that was like 2017 or something. Yeah. And I was like looking for, you know, I wanted to make a record different from crack up that was like brighter and happier, but I didn't want it to be like, corny in a certain way and so i guess feeling like i should see like that feeling of relief i felt with like how the music could feel like relieving rather than kind of like you know ecstatic or something mm-hmm. uh, became like my i was like oh that, that's a good that's a good north star for the for the record you know and follow that and that'll feel kind of like like that feels good for right now and then um you know that was kind of my that was obviously before everything happened in 2020, which kind of recontextualized what the record would be, but also kind of reinforced that a record like that would be useful in that time, you know, in September 2020. So, which made me more inspired to finish it and get it out when we did uh, digitally back in September. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I, I I love it. Like, uh, and I mean, like I've, I've, you're one of those rare bands that like, there's not an album that I wouldn't put on. Do you know what I mean? Uh, like there, there, so there, there's a lot of, there's a shit ton of like bands that I, I like. And I'm just, I'm trying to think of, I don't, I don't want to name anybody just in case I get them on the podcast. Cause then like, but there's been some artists that like, I, I really like some of their albums and then some of them, I'm just a bit like, whatever. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, um, you know, I feel a little bit of like, I love making music. I feel like a little bit, sometimes I feel like, okay, if I'm still going to be making music at 34, it's got to be like as good as it can possibly be. Mm. Like there's, I could, can't be like an aging musician that's putting out stuff that's subpar because then what am I doing with my life? You know, just like holding on to something, you know? And so I think that that anxiety has been like a good mindset to stay in like making records to some degree just like it has to be it you know i can't in good conscience put something out that i don't feel proud of at this point do you feel the need to like ever like 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 savagely like switch up the sound where you just like go completely the other way because i've noticed that there's a thing with rock bands and i only noticed this quite recently where they tend to like do a sort of dancey sort of style like you know like a fucking crushing rock band will do like a disco beat album 
or, or they'll do like a sort of funky style album and they're almost uniformly shit. Like, I, I mean, I've, I'm yet to hear any rock band cross back over to like, we're going to do a dance sort of commercial one. It's always crap. Anyway, um, <laughs> have you ever thought about like severely ripping up the rule book and like going down a massive like techno funk rock route <laughs> or, or would you have to like do a different, would, would that have to be a completely different project? I feel like you have to be so successful to be for that to even be like an option because you, you know it's gonna be like, um, you know, it'll just turn into a couple of songs in the set list of your arena tour, you know, that are have this like that are like this different curveball. Um, I don't. Think I think now I definitely feel like it's time to do something because Shore felt like I did feel like it was like emotionally like I was really happy with what was coming across and just the the overall arc of it I was really proud of like how the songs flowed into one another there was an element of like album making on that record that I felt like I really got it where I wanted it to be finally um, but it wasn't you know it wasn't what you're describing of like, this is the disco album or the techno album. Mm. It was more like really trying to like bring everything that I've like tried to do together and kind of more of like a culminating kind of record. Mm. And now it definitely feels like the time to kind of like think a little broader and, um, but I don't, I haven't been struck by the urge to make a techno album. (laughs) I'd rather, yeah, it kind of comes down to the matter of, of expertise you know i think like i i'm that took aphex twin his whole career to make music that one like that wonderfully inventive and in itself you know mm. and you can't presume that in two years of research you're going to like end up making something authoritative in that field with you know just because you need like a story for what your next record well, is that's true be. like you don't want to end up sounding like a budget version of the genre that you're aping do you know what i mean totally and that's often the case like with with people who like completely wholesale change, I mean, just look at ACDC. Yeah, <laughs> those fuckers have been doing the same thing. Iron Maiden, like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Those guys just know how to completely ring it out. Um, but 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 listen, man, like, um, congrats on the new record. Um, thank you for taking the time out to talk to me, and thank you for playing that that um that demo, which doesn't sound like you in the slightest. Nice. It's great, man. But um, thanks for coming on this week's Slack podcast, Robin. Thank you so much, man. It was a pleasure. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.